0: Listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit www.jointheventure.com. Good morning, Venture. How's everybody doing? Good. All right. Well, I'm not a Venture native. And so uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name Glenn Crocker. Uh, I was given the opportunity to speak back in December. Was anybody here in December when I was here last? All right. So it's really good to see all of you that are back. And for the rest of you, uh, I'll try not to mess things up, all right? I'll make you that promise. Um, Chris mentioned to me that you guys were in a series called A Life Worth Watching. And so I talked to him a couple of weeks ago about the possibility of coming here to speak, and uh, I was really intrigued by the title of the message series. There were so many different things that were running through my mind, and then... Chris was telling me about what you guys had been talking about, and so I was like, man, there's so many different things that that we could, so many different angles we could come at this from, and the one that I settled on, you're going to think I'm really weird, was movie previews. Anybody like going to the movies besides just me? All right, raise your hands high so I can see them. All right? I love everything about it. I love the sights. I love the sounds. I love the smells when you walk in and like that popcorn aroma hits you, you know, like my inner child just jumps out, and I kind of want to do this, you know, like just, I'm excited, you know, it's, it's fun and you're looking forward to it, but one of the, the complaints that I often hear about people going to the movies is this, I don't like sitting through all those stinking, what, previews, good gravy, I even like that part, okay, because I get a chance to like have a checklist and say, chick flick, no thanks, action movie where people are going to be blown up? Yes, check me in, all right? So, like, you get a chance to see, you know, which movies you want to come back and see, and you really, as you're sitting through all those previews are thinking and calculating, how am I going to pay for July? Because there's three movies I want to see, it's going to cost me $100 every time I come because it's outrageous, and so (laughs) how am I ever going to be able to see every movie that I want to see? And you're calculating all of this stuff because you want to know, is this film really worth the investment? Is it really worth coming back to watch? I found out something interesting as I was thinking all of these things this past week. And those two to three minutes that you're watching the previews before your film starts in the movie theater, did you realize that people, movie producers, spend $10,000 to $250,000 to produce a two to three minute trailer? That's a lot of money. A lot of money. And the sole purpose, the sole thing they're trying to do is just trying to convince you that you need to come back and to watch. And you and I are sitting back thinking, is this going to be worth my investment? And I think the same thing is going on in our world, ladies and gentlemen. I think there's a lot of people that are looking to find something that they want to invest their lives in. And for those of us that are here this morning, maybe we've been following Jesus for a while, and you know what? God's choosing to use you. To be the preview of whether or not Jesus is everything that he's cracked up to be. And maybe there's some of you that are here for the very first time this morning, you're like, yeah, I feel what you're saying, man, because I'm watching a bunch of Christian people, and their lives aren't always communicating what I think Jesus is all about, so maybe I'm not interested in Jesus. That puts a lot of responsibility on us. Chris said that this series was all about the life of Abraham. He's one of my favorite characters in all of scripture. And one of the most challenging stories and lessons that we learn from the life of Abraham comes from Genesis, the 22nd chapter. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, had been trying to have a child for a really long time. And at the right young age of 75 and 65, God says, I'm going to give you a son. And they're like, yay. <laughs> wow. And then he promises them this, and they sit on this promise and wait on this promise for two and a half decades, 25 years they wait on God to fulfill this promise. Then Abraham is a little younger, and he's 100 years old, and his wife 90, and God finally brings that promise to fruition. He brings it about, and in Genesis chapter 22 When Abraham has his prized possession, the the thing that he values the most in all the world, his one son, Isaac. God says this to him in verse 2. Take your only son Isaac, the son you love, go to the land of Moriah, and I want you to kill him and offer him as a whole burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'm going to tell you about. What God said to Abraham was, give me the thing that you value the most. In all the world... I want you to give it back to me. And Abraham, throughout his life, had had this habit of trying to do things on his own time and in his own way. You see, God had asked him a number of different times to try different things. And Chris has talked to you about some of these different stories. And Abraham tried to go his own way and failed miserably again and again and again. But we get to this story, and God makes this very unusual request. And what does Abraham do? He packs up. He travels. And he gets ready to do whatever it is that God's asking him to do. What does this reveal to us about Abraham? That he was willing to give anything. That there was nothing that he valued more than he valued his relationship with, Jesus, with God. And I think that that attitude is the same one that we have to have in our lives. If people are going to be using us as a preview as to whether or not God is enough, then he has to be number one. Because when we look at Abraham's life, we can tell, based on his actions, that that wasn't just something he said. It was something that he lived. And that's what people who are desperate to know Jesus want to know. Is he worth the investment? Is it true that Jesus could be all of these things? They're looking at your life to base their assessment on. But today, I want to take a a look at a life of a different guy. A guy by the name of Paul. Paul. And I think that he mirrors the idea that we see here from the life of Abraham. Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, if anybody comes to me and doesn't love his, or he loves his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, or even life more than me, he cannot be my follower. God wants us to give him everything. And Paul grabs a hold of this principle and tells us what it looks like and how we do it. So I've got something that I want to help you see and to illustrate a few things, because I think that Christians have gotten it wrong for a really long time. Yeah. I got a bag of goodies. There's a bunch of different things when we start to follow Jesus that God's going to reveal to us are trash. And trash is something that that we don't want anymore, it's not going to to help us out any. And when something's not worth having anymore and it's not going to help us out anymore, what do we do? We throw it away. It's trash. And God would have us evaluate our life and say, all right, what things are helping you get close to me and what things are still pushing you away from me? And then through deciding what those things are, we trash some different things. Maybe it's what you spend time doing on, on these you realize that, that doesn't glorify God and that God may be calling you to trash this. Well, throw it away. Or, this is one of my favorites. You keep the scorebook and you look at everybody else and you're like, I'm better than him because I did this today and he didn't. It's trash. God calls us to throw it away. Maybe it's the magazines that we hide under our bed, you know, the ones I'm talking about, you know, that nobody else knows about. They're kind of a secret Yeah, God might be calling me to trash those things. Maybe it's the attitude that we have about work. We work a lot, and that's the most important thing of our lives. We have a family and all that, but they kind of get our seconds. And so when we go to work, like that's really important to us, you know? And so we've decided that God might be calling me to like trash work, not to quit but in comparison to other things in my life and in comparison to him, I need to throw it away. I have to rethink it. What about this one? Here's some fun ones. Um, (laughs) The things you say to people when you're talking to them, you're kind of a jerk over social media. Anybody know people like that? Like you talk to them and they're like, oh, it's so sweet, and then they get on their cell phone or something else, they're kind of jerks. Drugs, prescription drugs, maybe for some of us we really struggle with using these the right way, maybe for you it's not prescription drugs, but you realize that Jesus is calling you to throw some of these things away. The thing is, folks, that's the easy part, and Paul says that if we're really going to give God our everything, if he's going to get it all, there's a lot more trash that we've got to get rid of, and if you're just entertaining the idea of Jesus, you're brand new to what it means to follow him, you're not even sure if you're interested, I want you to hold on for the next part of the message, because this is the, this is the part that I think might make it interesting, because God's not just calling you to give away all of your trash, all of your stuff. Like, that's great, but at the end of your life, is this what you want to give to God? Hey, here's all my junk. You can have it. Aren't I good? And I'm not sure that that's enough, folks. And in the church, we run around a lot. Like, that's everything that Jesus has called us to give him. That's not everything not even part of it. Paul opens up the book of Philippians in chapter 3, and he shares some insights with us about what it is that we need to trash. And he tells us what we need to trash by influencing first what we have to cling to. If we can figure out what we have to cling to, what's most important, then that really does help us figure out how and what we need to trash in our lives. So Paul says this, Philippians 1, or Philippians 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. He says to rejoice. Now, this is a theme that is constant throughout the book of Philippians. Paul is always saying, I think it's like 17 times in four chapters, rejoice, have joy. And you and I really don't understand the idea of joy and rejoicing, not like Paul did. We understand rejoicing when it's like Carolina, you're Carolina. Any Carolina fans in here? We beat State on like that last minute shot, and we were like, "Woo, yeah, all right!" And like I was up at eleven thirty screaming. Like my wife's, the kids are asleep. Shut up, all right? And we understand like having joy. We get excited about things like that. Or maybe you're sixteen, and mom and dad promised you they were gonna get you that brand new car, and there it is sitting in the driveway, and we're like. Yeah, all right. Got the exact one. That I, you got a raise. We got a raise. Yeah, everybody would be excited about that. We understand things like the cancer's gone. I don't know. The doctors can't explain it. We understand rejoicing. But listen to the circumstances under which Paul says to rejoice. Paul's in prison. He's getting ready to very possibly be killed because of his belief in Jesus. And what does he say? Rejoice. Have joy. The Christians that he's writing to are fighting each other. They're arguing about everything. And some of you are like, man, that sounds a lot like a church that I've been to. Sounds like a lot of churches all throughout time. And they were even present in the first century, this fighting and this bickering. But Paul says, despite your circumstances and all the things that you're going through, you have reason to have joy. And I think we get really confused sometimes about where our joy needs to come from. Because if God has everything, no matter what our circumstances are, our lives should still point others and give them a good preview of God. Because we trust that no matter what it is that we're going through, that God has an answer. And that God is going to provide a way out, And even if that means, and I think this is what Paul grabbed a hold of, if that means the end of my life, if I'm murdered for believing in Jesus, then there's something good on the way. And man, you can be excited about that, no matter what you're facing, that forever is for real, and that it's going to be wonderful. Now listen to verses 2 through 3, because Paul jumps into the issue that they're facing here in this church. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul writes to these Christians about an issue that's going on. You see there were these Jewish believers who were trying to force rules and rituals down the throats of these new followers of Jesus. And maybe if this is your first week in here, you're very familiar with that. You're very familiar with all the rules and regulations that religious people have tried to put all over you about having a dress this way. Aaron, didn't we talk about that this morning? You gotta dress this way, and you gotta talk this way, and you gotta have this kind of lifestyle, and if you don't, you ain't good enough, and God don't love you. There's nothing further from the truth. Nothing further from the truth. And this is the same issue that's going on in this church. Paul sits down, and he says, These guys are trying to get you to follow this principle of circumcision. It's written about in Genesis 17, uh, chapter 17, and God says, I need to set up some way to differentiate my people, the Israelites, from the rest of the people in all the world. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up a little surgery that's going to take place for every boy born into this tribe. And when they're eight days old, they've got to have this surgery, and if they don't, then they're not a part of the nation. The choice was left up to the individual person, the individual family, whether or not they would follow through. And if they chose to have this surgery, to have this cutting away, then they would be a part of the nation. If they chose not to, then they would be cut away from the nation of God. The choice was left up to them. And these Christians, these believers are coming in and saying, this is a rule and you got to follow. It. And if you don't, God doesn't love you. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh-uh. This ain't how it works, and check out what he says in Colossians chapter 2. We go up there. Colossians chapter 2, I think, really surmises all of this really, really well, where it says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by the physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, not by the cutting away of your skin, but by the cutting away of your sin. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God, which raised Christ from the dead. Paul is looking at this church, and he's saying, look, guys, what needed to be cut away has been cut away. You ain't got to follow all of these man-made rules. And it's so, so unappealing to the church when Christians are out there forcing these rules that aren't anything or anywhere found in Scripture upon a whole bunch of people. It turns people off to Jesus. And if that's happened to you, I am so sorry. I really am. God loves you. And it's not about you measuring up to a rule or to a standard. It's just about Jesus. We're going to see in just a few minutes. How many of you guys really get unfocused by anything? Anybody have ADD besides me? (laughs) Get unfocused on the really important stuff by really crazy mess? Like, I remember when I was in college, my buddies would come up to me, and I would have a paper that I had for six months. I knew it was coming up, and I waited till the night before to start it. And it was eight o'clock the night before, do it eight o'clock the next morning, and my buddies come knocking on the door knock, knock, knock. Hey, you wanna play basketball? That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, let's go play basketball. And so I would go to the gym, and I would get back at midnight, and then I would have to start on a paper, and I would turn it in at 8 o'clock in the morning. It was a lot less than my best effort, and I paid a, a huge price. I didn't get any sleep. I was very irritable. I almost lost the most beautiful and wonderful thing in my life because I was being a complete jerk, all right? And so you have all of these things that go wrong because your priorities are in the wrong place, and Paul says the same thing's going on here in this church, These people are trying to trip you up and get you to focus on the things that are not really important so that you miss the thing that's the most important. And you know what he says? Put no confidence in that junk. Put no confidence in those rules. Put no confidence in those rituals. In verses 4 through 6, listen to what Paul says. He says, I had reasons for such confidence If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, then I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. He said, King Kong ain't got nothing on me. I got it all figured out. And if anybody in all the world were to take a look at my life and judge how well I was doing at following God based on following the rules, then I was the king. you know where that landed, Paul? He ended up on the side of the road, blind before God with no answers and a ton of questions. Following all of those rules, following all of those traditions, didn't get him any closer to Jesus. So what does? How do we give God everything? Well, it's about trashing some of these sins and things in our life. But guys, it's also about throwing religion in the trash can. It's not about religion. It's not about rules. It's not about rituals. It's about Jesus and him alone. Listen to verses 7 and 8, what Paul says here. But whatever were gains, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. You know, all of those things that used to define who I was and why I was important, they don't matter anymore. And in verse 8, he says, and I love this, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost what? All. I would give it all away just for Jesus. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul wants us to grab a hold of a choice. It's either we are choosing ourselves and everything that we can do to get us to God, or we're going to trust in Jesus. And he says, I put no confidence in me anymore. I'm trusting fully in him. I'm holding on to him. I am clinging to Jesus. Tonight, or it's not tonight. I get confused sometimes because it's dark, you know. You come into a dark, tonight. It's not tonight, it's today, all right, this morning. (laughs) We get everything on the outside all fixed up and we fix all of our problems, and we throw all of this junk away. But somehow we miss Jesus, and folks, we've lost. We have lost. Because at the end of your life, it's not going to be about what you threw away. It's not going to be about the things that you got rid of. It's going to be all about what you're holding on to. What you're holding on to. God didn't send his son into the world so that you would read your Bible. (laughs) Maybe that's what you're holding on to. God sent his son into the world so that you could know him and so that you would hold on to him. God didn't send his son into the world so that you would say your prayers. He sent his son into the world so that you would know him and that you would hold on to him. He didn't send his son into the world so that you would do all of these big, huge deeds. God sent his son into the world so that you could know him so that you would hold on to him. It's not about being a good person. It's all about you knowing Jesus and holding on to him. And if you're not a Christian, you can tune me out for the next few minutes. But if you are, I want to share with you one of the scariest verses in all of Scripture. Take a look at this from Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never, what? Knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, here's the deal. On the day of judgment, We are going to have to account for the things that we cling to. Abraham was willing in his life to say, God, I'm willing to let everything go and to hold on to you. You can have anything that you want. It's all yours and I'm all yours. But on the day of judgment, there are going to be tons of people that are going to come on, come to God, holding all of these sins and all of these struggles. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Then there's going to be other people who've been to church for 100 years. They're going to come holding a Bible, and every time they attended a church service, and they're going to say, God, look, this is what I hold on to before you. You know what he's going to say to them? Depart from me. I never what? Knew you. You never got rid of all of that stuff. There's going to be people that are going to come holding good deeds and all the things that they've done over their life and they're going to say, God, this is what I hold on to. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. You did all these things, but you never got to know me. So where do we end up? How do we live a life like Abraham, a life that's going to point people towards Jesus, a life that's going to make a difference in this world? But when we get to the end of our life, we have to come holding Jesus. And he's it. He's all of it. That's the message. From the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, you have to hold on to Jesus. That's the story. That summarizes the whole thing. That's what it means to live a life that's worth watching because there's not enough good deeds you can do to draw people to Jesus. There's not enough Scriptures you can memorize to draw people to Jesus. The only thing that's going to draw people to Jesus is Jesus is a part of your life and your story. If we're going to be the previews that God's called us to be, then we have to throw some things away. We have to cling to Jesus. We have to hold on to Jesus. In your seats today, there was a note card. And this is going to be a little bit of interaction between us, what you've heard today. All of us have some trash. We all have some things that we need to get rid of. And so I want you to think over the next few minutes as we focus on Jesus, think about how much he loved us and how he gave us his everything. What are you holding back? What's holding you back from giving God everything? So that he has all of you, so that he can make a difference in your life like he made in their lives. I want you to think about that during this time. We're going to be partaking of communion, and you can go to any one of the stations that are set up around the room. There are also trash cans, just like this one, set up in between the communion stations. But only if you're serious about really being ready to get rid of this and give God everything. Do I want you to throw it away? Maybe you're not. Don't lie before God. Don't lie to each other. But perhaps today is the day. Time to get rid of this. If so, let's give God everything, throw anything in his way. If you're here for the first time, you know, maybe uh, all of this is brand new. I hope that you're just a little bit interested. And my encouragement to you this weekend is just hold on for one more week. Jesus is going to be explained and he is going to be taught in this place. I want you to just make a commitment to hold on for one more week, if that's you this morning. Thanks so much for the opportunity. And may God become each and every one of our everything.